Hello, I'm Paddy Delaney, and welcome to Integrated Infrastructure, a podcast dedicated to bringing you news and views from industry leaders involved in the development, design, construction, and management of the many built forms that make up Australia's integrated infrastructure. This is Integrated Infrastructure episode 26, and in this episode we talk to Andrew Pettifer. Andrew is the built environment leader for Mott McDonald in Australia. Andrew's recently joined Mott McDonald from Arup and is particularly enjoying his new role in a company that's shown some fantastic growth and cemented its place in the Australian engineering and design market since its arrival in Australia 10 years ago. Andrew is passionate about the industry, amongst other things we talk about why an employee-owned business creates the right culture for a sustainable business. We talk about Andrew's experience as a client and how to get the very best out of a consultant as a client organisation. We discuss the emergence of new delivery models for major projects and the increasing amount of collaboration we're seeing in that space. Andrew talks about his new role and why he's so excited about the growth in the number of precinct-style projects in Australia. We also discuss his recent RV trip up, around and through the middle of Australia and his plans for the future. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please like, share, comment and subscribe if you do. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to Integrated Infrastructure. Thanks ever so much for joining me today. Um, as always, um, if we could kick off, if you could tell people who you are and what you do and um, find out a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks, Paddy. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it's good to have a Pleasure. chance to, to talk to you. Um, so my name's Andrew Pettifer. I'm, I'm a building services engineer um, by uh, profession. I've worked in consulting engineering all my career and uh you know which is quite a long time now um and i've had um senior leadership roles in in consultants both in the uk where i was with a firm called gifford and partners i was a partner there that eventually got um swallowed up by rambol um mm. who, who you may know a major european um firm um uh, i came to australia in 2007 joined arab um and spent 13 years uh there um ended up uh, leading the Sydney office and leading the buildings group. Um, and then last year, after a bit of a break, um, I joined Mott McDonald. Uh, my current role is uh, Australasia, sorry, Australia, um, built environment sector leader. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and but before we um, get into the, the construction and engineering world, um, tell us about your break, because um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite jealous and it's something that I'd like to do in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, look, we... Um, I guess that having having come away from from Arab, I managed to engineer myself a, a bit of time, which is which is you know not always easy in people's careers to um, to find a few few months to take some time out. But I was really keen to, to do that with my, with my wife, and um, we went uh, we did a a trip. We we bought ourselves a motorhome, and uh, and we set off. And we were very fortunate because we managed to get from New South Wales into Queensland. Um, when the border was open uh, in July, there was just a small window there. Um, and once we were out of New South Wales, we were able to um, travel up through um, through Queensland, went all the way up to Cairns, um, and then across uh, into Northern Territory, up to Darwin, spent a week up in Darwin, headed back down um, through to Alice Springs, spent a week there. That was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't really know much about Alice, but um, really interesting place. Um I crossed the Uluru, Kings Canyon, um, and then continued down through Cougar PD, um, all the way down to the wineries around Adelaide, um, and then uh, back through Broken Hill to um, back to New South Wales. So yeah, twelve and a half thousand kilometres in three months. What were the uh, what were the highlights? Oh look, 
Um, so much, really. But it, I think one of the interesting things for me was um, kind of understanding why Australia, places in Australia are uh, where, where they are. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's largely driven by, obviously, the coast is, is largely about trade. You know, all the, all the major cities are essentially ports. Um, and then you've got some tourism um, and obviously where most people live around the around the perimeter of the country. But then when you go into inland places, there kind of has to be a reason for that place to, to exist. Um, and that will typically be mining, whether it be sort of minerals, precious metals, precious stones, um, and, and the like. It could be agriculture, um, or it might be communications. So, for example, the, the, the places that, you know, when you think the, the, the road that goes up through the middle of Australia and the various places along that, um, that 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 was determined by route, the route of the first um, telegraph line uh, that connected Adelaide up to Darwin and then on to the rest of the world because Adelaide wanted to be the first city in Australia that was connected. You know, this back in the eighteen fifties. Yeah. Um, so you kind of learn why you know the country is what it is and where it is, and then you got some crazy places like Coobapedia. I don't know if you've ever been there, but seriously, no, <laughs> it's like a really interesting. Um, plays opal mining sort of centre of the of, of the world, and you know, like it's a it's a bit wild west, um, but it's got a great vibe, you know, about it, and a really interesting place. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people in Australia, you know, particularly um, people like you and I that come from the other side of the world and, and settle here, it's very easy just to sort of fly from one city to another, and you get to know Sydney and Melbourne, and that's kind of cool. But um, you know, actually getting out and understanding the real, um, you know, Australia, why it is where it is. And then the other thing that, you know, obviously you get much more exposure to is, is um, you know, Aboriginal culture and um, mm. that, 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 that influence and how, you know, how what, what has happened in the last 200 years has sort of overlaid that ancient um, culture. Um, again, really interesting. Yeah, fantastic. Any hairy moments, any nasty critters or oh. anything? <laughs> Oh, uh, no, not, not, not so much that. I mean, we, um, we had a bit of fun when we first got our motorhome because we, we towed a uh, four-wheel drive and, yeah. um, uh, and that's kind of, that's, that's good. You can actually flat tow it. You set the car into, uh, in a certain mode and you tow it along. But, um, if you, um, if you're doing that, you can't reverse, um, because the, the towing mechanism doesn't allow that to, to happen or the car just sort of goes off at an angle. And we, we did have a rather <laughs> hairy moment where we got, we, it, really, it was like the third day or something that we had the truck and we went down this kind of lane and we realised we were a bit stuck and you know, we were still learning our way around how to, how to deal with this because we bought a really quite a big motorhome. Um, so, yeah, some interesting sort of motoring um, uh, things. And then the other thing about a motorhome, right, is, is, is it's, just, it's essentially ours at least it's like a one bedroom apartment on wheels um, and if you think about if you own a one bedroom apartment and if three hours a day you picked it up and shook it like <laughs> you know like things are going to go wrong right so it spent quite a lot of time just sort of working out how to fix things and you know keep it yeah. on the road you have to wait for your beer to calm down before you open it up <laughs> yeah, right. yeah that must be a pretty, pretty, pretty big um, motorhome if you're towing a four by four yeah, yeah, it's a 31 foot. It's basically like a you know, full-size Winnebago um, yeah. kind of thing. But uh, my, Tracy and I, my, my wife and I, we own a caravan park out in regional New South Wales. It's a family business. Mm. Um, so we kind of learned, started to learn a bit about, you know, caravanning and motorhomes. And, um, and it's handy because it's obviously we can keep our motorhome out there rather than yeah. try and park it on the street in Sydney, which is not so easy. Yeah. 
No, fantastic. And and you, um, so you, you sort of had you you finished with uh, with with Arup and um, you had had this fantastic break, and then and then you've you've, you've obviously joined Mott's in your current role. What mm. um, just out of interest, what you know, what what, what is it about um, Mott's that drew you to it? Why um, uh, what why Mott's? Yeah, look, I mean, for me, it's really important what a business stands for. You know, the, the culture and the values, and you know, the, the Mott's does have a very strong focus on uh, creating social value, on technical excellence. You know, it's we're we're an, uh, uh, an employee-owned firm. You know, we so we can decide what we want to be. We don't answer to shareholders and stock market and all that sort of thing. Um, and you know, the business um, you know wants to be uh, a successful business that makes a meaningful contribution. Mm. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that. Now, the, the danger with consulting engineering has become quite a big, um, you know, big business, right? So mm-hmm. some, there are some big corporations that work in, in this field. And, um, you know, if they're, if they're share-listed companies, you know, they kind of are driven by the dollar, and that's the way that share-listed companies work. Um, if, if, you, if you're outside of that, and, uh, you know, Mott's not our part too, um, it, it, does, it does set a different flavour to the business, I think, and a different, mm-hmm. a different culture. So... For me, um, you know, I wanted to still work in that kind of an organisation that was really driven, you know, by its values and and, and what it could can do. Um, and then ultimately, you know, I, see, I always take the view that if you know if, if you do technically excellent work, you hire great people, uh, you work with good clients on good projects, then the business will make money. And mm. um, you know that that obviously is a um, if you like, I, I think of, I think of, I think of profit as a as a lagging indicator the way I describe mm. it of a good business. Mm. Rather than putting money as the the primary objective, and 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 Moss definitely has that philosophy. So, um, uh, and then and the other thing, of course, is it's a relatively relatively immature business um, in Australia. Mm. Uh, and the heritage of the business goes back 130 years, so it's you know it's an old business. Yeah. But in Australia, only 10 years, and um, uh, we're up to about 850 staff uh, now, but um, still growing uh, and growing quite quite quickly. Mm. Um, you know, so. Uh-huh. That's eight eight hundred and fifty from. Um, that's quite. There's been a very recent advance in that number, hasn't there? Oh, look, it's been yes, it's been very, um, particularly in 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 Sydney. Um, you know, I think we took on something like hundred staff in the last six months of last year, um, which in a COVID year, you know, is just kind of phenomenal. Mm. Um, and um, so, yeah, the, the business is, but the business isn't about growth, and I always emphasize this as well when I, you know, when I talk to people, you know, within, within our teams and within our. Um, our business or anyone who's willing to listen. I, I don't I don't think profit should be a, a, a driver. I don't think growth should, but growth again is um, uh, results from a business that is doing the right things by its clients because clients want to come back and you know other other clients and other collaborators hear about what we're doing and they you know and they're attracted to come and uh, you know work with us and 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 you grow again as a consequence of, of doing the things that, that you're doing well. Um, so yeah for a very very rapid growth um, just right at the moment. Um, uh, we've been doing, you know, we work for for, for Arup, and that's how, how we know each other. But um, we've been um, out there talking to people from those very large engineering consultancies, especially in the last probably three four months, and um, just understanding the the how commoditized engineering has become. And there is a real um, um, need out there for firms like Mott's and Arup to offer that cultural aspect, and people really look for it as well. So um, yeah, I think staff look for it as well. You know, so clients yeah. get it. Um, and you know, ultimately, a, a consulting engineering firm uh, 
is really its people, you know. So, you know, as you know, in your line of business, um, it, it's all about attracting, you know, the, the best the best talent. And so what 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 do really smart people who are passionate about, you know, the sort of work that we do, what do they care about? Um, and on the care, on the whole, they they care about doing a great job for the clients. But actually, um, that using that as a as a means to do something meaningful, you know, in in, in the world, make a positive contribution to society. And most, and most engineers, and I, obviously we we not everyone we employ is an, an engineer, but I use that as a you know as a, a collective term. Um, uh, you know, that's 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 what we care about. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there are some themes here that we were talking about um, not too long ago that in terms of um, maybe people's motivations and, and and reasons for being and what have you that flows through into that other conversation that we're having around um, how do you get the best out of a consultant? And, mm. um, and, and I know it's something that you're, you're quite passionate about and, and we've talked about before. But tell us about that. How do you think you get the best out of a consultant um, as, as a client organisation or, or a client? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, to me, uh, being a client is, is essentially a leadership role. Um, and and I, ha- I have my own sort of recipe for leadership, which um, some, some of the people who I've worked with in the past will, will recognise uh, this. Um, and, and I'll share this with you because I think it's relevant to mm. leadership as a client. So ha- ha- the recipe to good leadership in what we do is this. Surround yourself with great people. Create an environment in which they can flourish. Let them get on with it, and then glow in the reflected glory of their achievements. That's essentially kind of what I've tried to do in my career. So, any anything I've achieved, you know, in my career, is has been as a result of the people that are around me. So, just make sure those people around you are really good and well aligned, and and so on. So, so, so then, when I think about clients. Um, and I'd say, my, in my experience, when I look back, and I've you know I've been doing this for well, 35 years or something now, so I've done a lot of projects and been involved in a lot of projects. And the ones that have gone well, you know, when I reflect on it, are ones who have had really good clients. Mm. Um, because uh, the way I rationalise this is, you know, in, in engineering consultants, architects, builders, and you know, we all, we all go to university and study to do what we do. Nobody really goes and studies how to be a construction client. Mm. You know, there are one or two courses emerging for senior leaders and so on at the moment, but essentially it's something that people kind of fall into. Um, And so as a result, um, you know, some people really flourish and others kind of don't do such a good job. So so then I think, well, what what is it about, you know, the the things that I recognise that a good client as the good clients have done? And I think it's four things I've identified. One one is... um, to provide a really clear vision and, and, and ultimately a brief, to be really mm-hmm. clear about what, what it is they're trying to achieve. Right? Um, then they need to put in place a really effective governance structure so that they can make um, good decisions and timely decisions because that's, that's you know, to keep the project going, you need, you, you, you need that. And, so, and sometimes some of the best projects I've worked on have had a really almost like a sort of um, benign dictator sort of approach. You know, there's one person who makes all the decisions and, 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 that, and that's that kind of tends to work. But of course, in most, in most major projects, it can't be like that, and particularly in, obviously in the, in the public sector. So, um, so you need this governance structure that allows decisions um, uh, to be made. Then they've got to hire a great team. Um, and we'll 
probably talk a bit more about that. But then, mm. and this is the very important thing, is to nurture a culture within that team that allows consultants and contractors to do their best work. And that goes back to you know my sort of leadership thing around let people get on with it, um, really. Um, because you're hiring experts and you're hiring highly um, experienced people. Um, so the client really needs to trust those um, those people. So I think if clients do put those things in place, mm. uh, then they're likely they'll get um, they'll get good outcomes from their projects. Yeah, and you don't mention contracts in there once, which is interesting because <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that that in reality, clients the first thing they do is they get themselves a good a good lawyer. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's it's often said that you know the, the con, you know contract needs to be there. It's this thing you put in the bottom drawer, and hopefully you never you know never yeah. do it again. And you know that 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 is definitely a a, a, good, a good project where, where you see. We see clients or, you know, sometimes contractors who, you know, as soon as there's a bit of a problem, they get the contract out, you know, you're thinking this isn't going to end well, you know, mm-hmm. because the reality is, you know, we work on really complex major projects. Um, we all make mistakes. Everybody on the project is going to make a mistake. So what do we ha- what do we do in that circumstance? Do we all come together and work out what the best outcome is and how we how we solve it and minimise the impact? Or, or do we get the contract out and start talking about suing each other? You know, it seems to me self-evident what the right approach is. Yeah. And I think on the whole, you know, most clients get that. Yeah, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and you've actually been uh, a client yourself recently. You've sort of had a, an, an experience of being on the other side yeah. of the fence. Yeah, no, and, that, and that was a great experience for me. So when uh, when I was um, the Sydney office leader for Arab, um, in fact, when I first took over that role, we had a, a project ahead of us, which was, um, you know, we knew we were going to be moving into a new building, a, a barrack place, um, and we were, uh, as the, we were both the engineer and the anchor tenant. Um, uh, and so we had the opportunity to do an integrated fit out uh, and really create something that um, really kind of reflected, uh, you know, the, the firm's um, aspirations or um you know, profile and what it stood for. Um, and that was really, really cool. But and to have that opportunity to be to be the client. So obviously I thought quite deeply around um, you know, what does it mean to be a good construction client as as mm. was talking about. Um, and then I, I actually had the opportunity to sort of you know do that. And um and I, and I think on the whole, I mean let's talk talk to the consult consultants and contractors that, that worked on the project, but I think it was a good project and and um uh, you know, I, th- I think at, at the end of the day, I was reflecting on, you know, once we'd handed it over and, you know, it was, you know, we were all still happy. We had a good celebratory dinner on site and, you know, and sort of reflected on what we'd achieved and and so on. And I was kind of thinking, well, what, what do I take away from this experience? And the thing that struck me most was this, what I, what I cared about, most or what what really um what really resonated with me as the client was that the team that worked on the project our consultants and 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 contractor i felt they cared about the project as much as i did you know and that was so there's a level of emotional engagement that that you as a client have with your project and potentially with your team and you want your team to have that same level of emotional engagement with the project as you do it's not it's not just you know a a job it's something kind of more than that and and i think we we had that we had some you know some, some great people working on that um on on that project so that's so that then kind of what that left with me is when i go back to you know either working myself or or leading teams 
um, in consulting engineering that work with clients is that, you know, I want our people to, to have that, to, to demonstrate that, to show that mm. they really care about the client's project. Um, because that, like, like I say, we, you know, we have people who are technically excellent. Um, 99% of the time they'll get things right. Every now and again, there'll be a, a problem. Um, but, you know, if you have that level of engagement with the client and that level of trust that comes from having that shared passion or shared desire around what you're doing, then you know, that'll override all the, you know, all the challenges and, you know, and you'll come out of it um, not, not only with a really good project, but, but mm -hmm. you know, with, with some really good ongoing business relationships uh, as well. So, so yeah, that was, that was a great experience for me. And I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I guess I kind of enjoyed leadership as a, uh, as a thing, if you like. Uh, yeah. and, norm and so normally I lead uh, a, a, like an office or a big group of, and this was an opportunity to sort of do, do uh, exercise leadership in a, in a different way. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. That's a fantastic fit out. I've been in there more than a few times and um, yeah, it looks amazing. I love the, I love the sort of fact that you can just see all the way down into the office. It's, uh, yeah. it's fantastic. Um, one of the reasons I was so keen to talk to you today, Andrew, and and, and it's something that we touched upon when we, we caught up for a coffee the other day. Um, it, on the podcast, we've talked so we talked a lot about um, the need for new contractual arrangements and um, um, a, a way of reframing or, you know, um, um, changing the way that contractors are engaged so that they actually have an opportunity to make money and actually have really good projects or all, all themes that you've sort of touching on there already. Um, what we haven't talked about yet is about new, um, um, new and innovative procurement methods through major projects from a design point of view and an engineering point of view. Um, and I know that's something that you've got a keen eye on, uh, you know, uh, mm. as, as well. Um, where are you seeing the opportunities and the changes and the um, innovations within within the Australian market at the moment? Mm. Well, of course, those two things those two things are very um, heavily uh, intertwined. You know, mm. the, 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 the contractor side. Uh, procurement and the um, and the engineering consulting design uh, side uh, procurement um, and ult and ultimately we're all I think wanting the same thing um, you know we, we we want to have good strong long long term businesses that are, you know that are, that are that are profitable um, that are great places to to work we enjoy working on major projects because I think you know if anyone's ever experienced working on a project that's gone wrong it's no fun at all for anybody. Um, you know, you don't want to get up out of bed in the morning and, uh, you know, and you think, well, why am I even doing this? You know, so, um, and, and normally they have bad outcomes for the clients as well. So, so but the point is the, the, the engineering consulting and, and, and architecture, um, how that fits into new, new models is um, inextricably linked to the, um, the, the contract procurement um, as well. It's all, it's all mm -hmm. part of the same uh, equation and of course we've seen the you know the the New South Wales I'm sure you talked about New South government New South Wales government ten point commitment as they call it to the yes we have yeah and, and I just wanted to just read just one sentence from that because I just looked mm. it up this morning it says the government aims to be a best in class client for the construction industry and its suppliers mm. in return it expects industry to meet the highest standards of integrity quality innovation diversity and inclusiveness um, now that, that is. That is a great commitment from the largest construction client in in New South Wales, possibly in, in Australia. Um, and so we're all committed. I think we all see the benefit of that, and we, you know, we want to um, sort of move it, move in that, that direction. 
Um, and, and I think part of that is about more collaborative um, relationships. And from a design point of view, I, I have a really strong view that um, designers can learn an awful lot from contractors and subcontractors and suppliers. Um, you know, the, 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 years ago, there was this kind of really distinct hierarchy, you know, where the architect would, you know, 50 years ago, the architect would sit at the top of the pile and his best mate would be the structural engineer and then he'd tolerate the building services engineer and then last nasty builder would come along and, you know, and he'd tell him what to do. Now, of course, that's all um, kind of completely changed. Um, but what, what I would say is I've, I've, I've seen some great examples and experienced some great examples of where, of where you get the whole supply chain working together. Um, then, then you get some real, real value. We, we had a, a great example of that on um, uh, the project we did with Macquarie at 50 Martin Place when we, when mm. we refurbished that building, which is, I don't know if you've been in there, but it's a, it's yeah. a wonderful project. Um, and they, and they, they, they were a great um, construction client, just going back to what we were saying. Mm. Earlier, they really understood how to how to get the best out of the uh, of the team, but when, when we did that project, um, the the builder, which is Multiplex, were appointed before we had a DA. Mm. Okay, so they were at the table really early, um, and they brought their um, key supply chain members along, um, in particular on the services side, and we were designing up the building services uh, solution, and we got to a point we're about. I don't know, scheme design, sort of we worked out what we want to do, where all the systems were, and we gave it um, to um, Multiplex, they gave it to their um, mechanical subcontractor in this case. And he came back and he said, um, oh, we've had a look at it. We think there's a better way of doing the heating in this project. Obviously, most, mostly we worry about cooling in Australia, but there is a hit the heating component. Mm. And and he and, and, and they said, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do what you've shown. It's too expensive. There's another way of doing it. If try this. Um, and we did. And it was a better solution, right? Mm. And we implemented it, and and it was a better outcome. So it's, it's, a, to me, that was a really kind of tangible um, example of uh, of bringing the supply chain into the story, and they they you know they brought uh, their added value, and they they were looking at it more from a point of view of uh, you know we can save money on on this job. What you mm. what 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 you're showing there works. But if you do this, we'll save the client some money. So that you know, so that's so. What, I guess what I'm coming to is to say, I think um, the direction that things are going in helps with this um, in, increased collaboration up and down the supply chain. And consult, consultants who embrace that, um, I think, will will succeed. Con, consultants who want to sort of sit sit back and you know, I know best because I'm the consultant kind of approach. That 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 that's not going to fly in the future. Mm. Neither, neither um, should it. Yeah. Um, so the, the other thing that's, that, that's striking me about this whole whole thing is that there, when you think about it, there's really two types of um, scenarios, right? So what? So one is, uh, and we tend to think in. So I'm the I'm the buildings guy, right? So mm. and when it comes to buildings, very often it's a one-off that we're designing. Mm. Um, so it may be, say, a major new commercial tower for a developer, or it may be something for government, like highly bespoke, like the new fish markets, which which Mark mm. McDonald have um, been working on, um, or or powerhouse Parramatta. You know, th these are highly bespoke one-off buildings, mm. um, and so 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 that you know you can you can sort of implement, the client can sort of implement the, the sort of strategy that I was talking about in terms of getting the best team together and 
how do you get the best out of that team to try and create the best outcome for that one building? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. Um, where you get real value, of course, is is where you get a series of projects. Mm. Um, and, and this is where the whole enterprise model or, you know, the delivery partner model, I think you alluded to when we were talking yeah. earlier around, um, you know, Pacific Highway upgrade, for example, yeah. uh, where because you've got a whole series of, of, of elements, but, you know, bridges is the obvious example. We've got a whole series mm. of bridges. We don't design six individual bridges. We, we you know, we, 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 we design something once and then we, we tweak it, modify it to suit, you know, where it needs to be along the line. Mm. Um, that drives real, real savings. Um, so that's where the real opportunities sit, I think, is how 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 can those major construction clients, and, and typically it would be the government, but not only, um, who have a series of projects, how can they sit that up, set those projects up so that they're no longer a series of you know of bespoke things, but that but that, that they are um, uh, a, a a program. Um, and then from a design point of view, there's real efficiencies. There's no question about it. Um, you know, and this ties in, ties in also with you know the move towards uh, DFMA, um, uh, so design for manufacturing assembly. So we, we think yeah. about offsite manufacturing and and, and, and so on. Um, better better approaches to to, to to digital design, or you know, and also um, what we might call smart infrastructure. So understanding how how infrastructure actually is is working and drawing the mm-hmm. data out and feeding that back in to later projects. You see, once it becomes a a continuum of projects, yeah. it completely changes the the the, the whole dynamic of, yeah. of what what the consultant can um, bring uh, bring to the party. If you like, I, I had a great example of even because this is not, there's nothing new. Um, even before I came to Australia, uh, I had a really good example of this. Um, so this is back in the early two thousands. Um, and Gifford and Partners is uh, where I was a partner at the time. Mm. Uh, won a, a contract with a, an organisation called Flagship Training, who uh, had, had, had a, essentially a PPP style um, deal with the Royal Navy mm. um, to uh, look after their, the naval training estates. There's about five sites across the south of England, and as part of that, they wanted to improve the limit, living accommodation for the, the trainees. So we did a whole series of single living accommodation projects, um, and they were different. So, so if it was um, junior ratings, officers, um, sergeants, you know, they all had slightly different, uh, as you can imagine, yeah. uh, standards that applied. But essentially, I think we did about I don't know twelve or fifteen buildings across three or four sites, um, and the way that that was set up. So that was an example of this series of, of, of projects. So we, we were the lead consultant. We employed the architect and the landscape, and we we did all the engineering. Um, and everything was open book. Um, you know, we had a declared sort of rates with profit margins, uh, and we also had a um, uh, a pain gain share mechanism mm. um, in place. Uh, so, um, and what we saw was, and and I, I and I, I was leading this. I was all over the numbers at the time. That as you went as we went through that, the cost of design. Dropped dramatically over those mm. over those projects. We became so efficient at doing it. The build the buildings weren't all exactly the same, but they were similar. And we were using um, volumetric construction, so it was you know it's a D- DFMA style. Yeah. Um, but by being really open with our client, uh, really collaborative with the supply chain, again, um, we saw we literally saw the cost of design kind of coming down. Our margin stayed the same. In fact, we made some good money on the um, on, on the gain share. 
because we were actually outperforming what you know what was it, what had been anticipated. So the profit margin kind of went up. The, the overall quantum of fee went down mm-hmm. um, uh, as we went through these projects, but the client really saw the value. So you know, and, and as I say, that was you know what fifteen to twenty years ago. So yeah. you know, it's not it's not like um, you know we don't know how to how to do this. The, the the issue I think is for for clients just you know having having the 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 the, the foresight, the political will, and 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 um, uh, almost the courage to to because because it comes down to trust, right? You, if you yeah. work on an open book basis. Uh, you know, I, are, are those rates actually what you know what what it's costing the consultant? You know, what actually is their uh, margin? Are they are they going to um, you know are they going to do the right thing by us? Are they going to drive the cost down? How, but but in my experience, if you and this goes back to you know general leadership as well, if you trust people, ninety nine percent of the time they will do the right thing by you. Yeah. Yeah. If if if, if you hold a contract up against somebody and and you into a club into a um, uh, 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 sort of combative sort of um, relationship, then they're more likely not to do the right thing by you. It's mm. kind of just basic human nature. Right? There, 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 don't, there aren't that many alliances around, though, are there? Um, you know, in New South Wales, I mean, um, Melbourne, uh, sort of Victoria is uses them heavily through the, through their rail infrastructure. Um, yeah. But New, New South Wales, they they really are sort of few and far between. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we are. I think we are starting to see um, see see a, a shift, particularly in the major infrastructure uh, market. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we we've seen that with you know, we we mentioned Pacific Highway. I think the uh, Western Harbour Tunnel is going down a similar delivery partner. Um, model. The delivery partner model is interesting, isn't it? Because really, really, what the client is saying is that we want we we this project is so large and complex. We want to be a good client, but we haven't got the capacity to do everything a good client needs to do on our own. So we want a partner to come in and work 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 alongside us. And the interesting thing about that is that that partner might come from a consulting background, but they might come from a contracting background it's, it's actually doesn't, doesn't kind of matter as long as they've got the skills and experience to be able to help deliver that um, so or, that's that or a bank uh, you know in, in west, western, yeah. western harbour tunnel yeah. you know you mentioned macquarie yeah or or a or a or you know consulting uh, of, of um, in, uh, yeah infrastructure specialists in, in in another way yeah you're you're focused on buildings what's um what's sort of 2021 going to look like for you where are you focused yeah so look my i guess my role uh it's it, uh uh, Marks is to diversify and broaden what we're doing in buildings because we, we have a significant capacity, about 200 staff working in buildings, but uh, an awful lot of that, of course, is supporting Metro and other, you know, around the other states. Um, uh, it's just major transport infrastructure projects. Um, so yeah, my so my role is to um, help us, uh, I guess, lift the lid on that so other other markets can see, you know, what we've got and, and what we're growing. Um, we're very interested in precinct scale developments. You know, the, the, a, a, an organisation like um, MOTS brings most value when when projects are complex because you know we, we've got so many experts from different areas uh, and there's technical expertise. But then we're also moving much more into sort of um, how 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 do we create better social outcomes? How do we do um, client, um, uh, in, uh, community engagement um, really well? So some of the softer side economics. Um, so, and precincts is where this, you know, they, these things tend to come together. You know, we, we can think and talk as we do around, you know, big, big picture sort of city planning and ideas around cities. And that's really kind of interesting. But the, the rubber kind of hits the road um, where we develop 
precincts, which are, which are typically around major transport nodes, mm-hmm. major health um, and, and university uh, developments, and sometimes um, you know, just straight commercial precincts like Barangaroo or something like that. Yeah. So we're really interested in, in how we how we create better precincts and then obviously buildings sit, you know, as the elements within within, within the precinct. So we, so we want to do more work in um, mixed-use um, precinct-scale projects, commercial um, you know the, the 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 really interesting sort of institutional and arts sort of um, sectors. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, there's some uh, a big gallery project coming up in in, in um, Melbourne at the mm-hmm. um, National Gallery, which we're really interested in. Uh, as an example, I mentioned sort of fish market. So those sorts of uh, institutional projects. Yeah. Um, and then we're looking at doing more in um, in defence uh, mm-hmm. and and health as well. So yeah. Uh, you know, the, the exciting thing for, for me is that you know we we've got a really, in my view, a really strong business, uh, and yet we you know the, the, we barely scratched the surface in terms of what you know what we can con- contribute in the future. And um, mm-hmm. you know, that's a kind of exciting place to be. No, that's brilliant. Fantastic. Well, it's brilliant to uh, to end on an exciting note. And um, mm. th- thanks ever so much for your time and um, sharing your thoughts with us. There's so much uh, there that resonates with me when you're talking about being a consultant and having good clients and those things. So mm. um, very interesting. And, um, you know, we always finish with, uh, with, with, with the same question and um, um, ask people, you know, what, what are they excited about at the moment? What are they looking forward to? Um, what, what, what is it yeah. for you? Can I have two? Yeah, of course you can. It's free if you want. Yeah. <laughs> the exciting thing for me, and anyone who follows me on LinkedIn, you 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 might have got this vibe. Is you know the number of really talented people that's joining Motmaton at the moment. Mm. You know, it, it 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 you know really is an exciting place to be. Every week, a you know major talent sort of turns up. You know, I, I, sometimes at really senior levels, and you know sometimes you know further back in their career but um, you know it's a really exciting place to be from that point mm-hmm. of view and, and then I guess in terms of looking forward to I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, to, to doing West Australia in our um, uh, in our motorhome because yeah. we, uh, we 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 had we had originally tended to try and get all the way around and, and of course uh, we couldn't get into WA because of the uh, borders being closed so we ended up doing the East Loop um, mm-hmm. which leaves us the West Loop to do so that's something we're really uh, really looking forward to Fantastic, fantastic! I've got I've got a mate with a cider press in uh, in Margaret River. I'd have to introduce you if you yeah uh, yeah you know, that way. So uh, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> yeah, excellent. Um, Andrew, thanks thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it, and um, um, hopefully um, you know we'll have a chance to talk to you again uh, at some other point. Thanks, Paddy. No, it's good fun. Integrated infrastructure is powered by North Search, specialists in executive and technical search across engineering, design, construction, property and energy markets in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about North Search or get involved with this podcast, you can click on the links in the show notes or email me directly at the address on the screen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Integrated Infrastructure. Please tell your friends and colleagues if you did, and we hope to see you again soon.